Hey, would you open your Bibles this morning to Daniel chapter 1 verse 8? We're resuming our series or in our study in the book of Daniel called Kingdom Culture, which answers the question, how do we live as the people of God in a godless a society, in a culture that seems to be walking away from our biblical foundations and heading into a secularism? Now, we're going to be talking today about wisdom that discerns. You see, um, there's a big difference between wisdom and knowledge. Uh, see, knowledge is just information and facts stored up and trivia and minutia of details. But knowledge is actually, or wisdom rather, is knowledge applied to everyday life. And this type of wisdom that we're going to be talking about today is a wisdom that discerns, that would um, know not only what's right and wrong, but almost like the sons of Issachar in the Bible where they had the ability to see ahead of times and to know the times. Now, discernment is not just knowing what's right and wrong because, let's face it, most everybody should know what's right and wrong, right? Uh, common sense. Uh, it doesn't take much discernment to know what's right and wrong, but what discernment is, is knowing what is right before God and knowing what seems right in our own eyes. See, did you catch that little nuance there? Discernment is knowing, not necessarily knowing what's right and wrong, but knowing what is right before God and what seems right to us. And we need wisdom and discernment um, because when I was growing up, man, uh, you know, my parents grew up in an in a era of fundamentalism. They weren't allowed to go to the movies. Uh, dancing was a sin. They couldn't listen to secular music because it was sinning. And that's kind of like the environment that I kind of grew up with. I think the first time our family ever saw a movie, I think was twice growing up. I think once was um, Saving Private Ryan. I forgot the other movie. But, uh, you know, because for a long time, we thought, ooh, going to the movies, going to the chitters, the theaters was a sin before God. Um, and even going to, to Bible college, when I entered Bible college in 1998, uh, you have to sign a contract, a code of conduct, a code of holiness saying that you weren't going to dance. You know, one of uh, the pastors that we uh, that I know when we went to he went to Bible college he attended a friend's wedding during Bible college and he ended up dancing you know uh, at his friend's wedding and he had to repent before the board and ask for forgiveness and he had to write this essay why he won't dance again while in Bible college and that wasn't that many years ago and we really need to know discernment and how do we uh, as Romans chapter 12 says how do we not conform to this world, but we are transformed by the renewing of our mind? Because Jesus says in John 15 that we're, even though that we are in the world, we're not of the world. Okay, And how do we not let culture dictate and shape our worldview, shape our foundations, but instead we influence, just like Daniel, um, and we win our culture for Jesus. Amen? So let's just go straight into the text this morning. And the first point that I want to talk to us about is this. 
There's a difference between what God forbids and what we don't like. Let me say that again. There's a difference. There's a chasm. There is an enormous difference between what God forbids and what God doesn't allow and we, what we don't like. You know, there's a word that most Christians uh, find ourselves uncomfortable with, and it's kind of like a scandalous word within Christianity. But it's not really a bad word. You know what that word is? Compromise. You see, one of the things that really stands out about Daniel, not only did he have unwavering hope, not only did he have the humility to respect everyone, but he had the wisdom to pick his battles very carefully and in areas where it was gray, in areas where it might not be something that he liked, um, but it was something that God did not allow. He picked his battle carefully, that he had wisdom and discernment in how he lived his life. When you look through his life, he didn't seem bothered when his name was changed in Daniel 1.7 from Daniel, God, God is my judge, Yahweh is my judge, to Belshazzar, which is uh, Satan's prince. He didn't seem too upset to serve under a godless king who destroyed his country, who kidnapped him, and had taken the holy articles from the temple and put it in his own library or own museum, as it were, in his own pagan temple, and to mix in gods, uh, the God of Israel, with other gods and idolatry. It didn't seem to bother him when he had to study the occult and astrology for three years in Daniel 1, 3-6. In fact, um, he didn't pout about it. He didn't complain, he didn't sit in the back, but he sat in the front and he graduated number one in his class. And somehow, in all those situations, Daniel had the wisdom to discern and he made his compromise. And here's the first point that I want us to get at. Number one is this, discern with wisdom when to compromise. Discern knowing what's right and what seems right with wisdom when to compromise. I believe it's the great uh, and the brilliant philosopher, existential philosopher and country music singer, uh, Kenny Rogers, who said, you've got to know when to hold them, you got, know, you got to know when to fold them. you got to know when to walk away, and you got to know when to run. Remember that there's an enormous difference between what God forbids and what we don't like. There's a standard that God puts upon His people, but that He doesn't put upon all people. I think 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11 makes it clear where Paul, he's talking about discipline in the body of Christ. And he lists, down, he lists down a list of sins that if the believer does these things, man, stay away from that person. Don't even eat with them. Don't even associate yourself with them. But at the same time, in verses 9 through 11, there's a list of sins that non-believers do. And we're told not to separate from them because if we're told to separate from them, then we have nowhere else to live. We'd have to leave this world, Paul says. And when we leave this world, that, of course, would lead us with 
having no influence in our culture. This seems to be a real key in Daniel's life. Not only did he have humility, not only did he have hope and optimism, but he had this wisdom to be able to pick his battles. So there was a command not to practice astrology and divination, but listen, there was no command that you can study it. Knowing the difference between what God forbids and something that we don't like. And frankly, because he studied astrology and Babylonian black arts, he graduated at the top of his class. And when the king needed him to interpret the dreams, Daniel was able to tell him in chapter 2 that all this occult stuff is baloney. The answer to his problems and dreams comes not from the Babylonian dark arts, but that it came from Yahweh. It came from God himself. And he learned the wisdom to know and to pick his battles. Uh, there's another example of the one, one who drew the line in Joshua chapter 2. You know her as Rahab. She was a, a woman of the night, so to speak. And she discovered that she had uh, Hebrew spies or Jewish spies living to scout the land. And she, had, she made a decision whether to lie and protect their, their lives or tell the truth and let them be slaughtered. And Rahab's uh, virtue and her character, she's actually a descendant of, of Christ. Um, there's another example in Exodus chapter 1. We see the story of the Hebrew midwives. They were told to kill all of the Hebrew boys that were born, but they refused to do that. And there's a, certainly a, a time and a place to stand strong, but we must never fall in the easy trap of what I'm comfortable with, with what God forbids. There's a difference to what God commands me as a Christ follower, what to do, and what He commands everybody else to do. So not only do we discern with wisdom when to compromise, but secondly, would you write this down? Learn the courage to stand firm on your convictions. Learn. It's a behavior that you pick up, that you come along. The courage to stand firm on your convictions. We see here in Daniel 1 verse 8, But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now God has caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. Let's look at the principle here in verse 8 that Daniel resolved. Not only did Daniel have the wisdom and the discernment when to compromise into something he may not like, but he also had the courage to stand firm when it came to his convictions. He wasn't um, a pushover. He wasn't passive about his faith. He was very bold. And he resolved something that 
um, clearly God did not allow in, in terms of not eating with a kosher diet. There were times that Daniel here, he resolved in his heart not to defile himself. And look at that. Not only did he resolve, but he what? He asked. He didn't demand. He didn't act like a Karen. And let me see your manager, right? He didn't um, insist. But it says right there, he asked and for the chief official for permission. And I love that. This uh, law or this principle of appealing. He appealed to his superiors. He appealed to his bosses. He didn't demand. He didn't infringe upon his right. But he, he humbly, politely, kindly, graciously asked if, hey, could, instead of this, the king's diet, could I have a kosher diet because it's against my uh, convictions? And as he did that, it says right here in verse 9 that God caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. Man, courage and biblical courage and standing on your convictions, I believe that if you do that, God will show his favor upon your life. God's hand will be on your life when you choose not to sell out, not to... Um, unreasonably compromised, but to really stand firm on your convictions. In so many areas in his life, Daniel figured, you know, there's some things worth fighting for. You got to know when to hold them. You got to know when to fold them, right? As Kenny Rogers says, and this was really forged uh, early in my uh, walk with God when I went to Bible school. You see, uh, I was a senior in Bible college. I had just taken 18 units for three years. I worked at uh, Bank of America. And one of the reasons why I went to Bank of America is because they had this uh, program um, similar to Starbucks where they have tuition reimbursement. I believe it's up to 5000 a year. And But that time I was taking 18 units because I wanted to graduate with two um, emphasis. One is biblical languages. The other one was pastoral ministry. Uh, I was... Uh, part-time youth pastoring at uh, church, um, full-time student, part-time teller at the bank, Saturday, you know, Monday through Friday at school, Saturday I had work from 8 in the morning till 2 in the afternoon and I didn't really have a Sabbath and then I would study or hang out with my friends and then Sunday was church all day from morning till night. And I was sitting through a class about the importance of Sabbath and how we need to rest and we need to trust God. So I, the Lord just really convicted me to just, hey, take the Sabbath seriously and honor the Lord with it. And I approached my supervisor after much praying. I approached my supervisor and said, hey, hey um, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to quit. Uh, because uh, it's just too much on my plate right now with school and I don't, I don't have Sabbath, I don't have time to rest. And she said, well, could you please stay? Could you, you know, instead of working, you know, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, how about if you just work, you know, Monday, Wednesday, Friday? I was like, ah, I'm sorry, I cannot. He goes, how about just Wednesday? Can you just work once, once a week? I was like, oh, I cannot. How about Saturday? 
you know, can you just work one day a week from four to one? That way you'll keep your tuition reimbursement. And I'm just like, ah, oh, sorry, TC, I, I, I can't. And she said, how about this? How about if you just work once a month? So you have three Saturdays off in the month and just you just come in for f four hours on a Saturday. And that way your name will still be in payroll. And at the end of the semester, you'll earn the extra $5,000 for tuition reimbursement for your school and your classes and, and your textbooks. And sure enough, that happened. And you see here, uh, God's favor and God's hand will be upon your life when you stand upon your convictions. You gotta, we gotta learn how to pivot. We gotta learn how to do both. We have... We cannot be an either-or type of people. We have to be a both-and. We have to be a people of spirit, and we have to be people of truth. We have to be people who can stand firm on our convictions, but at the same time, we, have to be, have, we, we need to have the discernment and the wisdom to choose our battles. That we got to know when to compromise in areas in our life where we might not necessarily like it, but it's not necessarily something that God forbids, but we just don't like it. And this was in the case with Daniel. And number three, we'll go ahead and close with this, is that recognize when we create extra rules in fear. Recognize when we create extra rules in fear. When it comes to having wisdom in our culture, one of the things we have to be careful of is that we become scared and we become fearful. Larry Osborne, he calls this a scaredy cat Christian. And what he means by this is a scaredy cat, scaredy cat Christian is someone who gives Satan way too much credit. That we, became, we become afraid of holidays and events and things and places and people as if somehow we catch this evil by osmosis. We, we need to remember that Satan is a liar and that's his nature. That he's, a, he's been a liar from the very beginning. And what a scaredy cat Christian does is that they believe all of Satan's all of Satan's lies. They believe that anything slightly touched by him or slightly influenced by him or the devil in our world would somehow, through osmosis, will bring us down and ruin us forever. Listen, Satan does not have that much power. 1 John chapter 4, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And when we fall into fear, could I just say this something, say something too? I was talking to my wife earlier during the week and she said, um, you know what, she heard a podcast about, you know, fear takes absolutely no effort. Fear takes no effort. That it's natural. Our tendency is to fall into fear that it takes real effort, real resolve, real courage to not be afraid and to walk in faith and when we fall into fear in our Christianity when we're afraid I mean you know growing up uh, during Halloween our parents instructed us oh you know we can't participate 
in this worldly Halloween look. They're dressed like witches and, and you know, the dark side and they're dressed uh, like evil and that's very dark. So you know what we did? When little kids, little cute kids would come dressed up with their parents, would come knocking at our door, we would turn our lights down low, turn off the lights in our, in our home and hide until they would walk away and pretend like nobody's home because we were afraid of the influence of Halloween. You know, Romans uh, says that don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with what? Good. And what is more winsome, what is more godlike than for the people of God, instead of um, hiding and turning off their lights and shutting the doors and shutting the world out, actually open and, and Christians were the best candy givers. They would give whole whole full-size bar of, of Snickers and a four-pack of Reese's Pieces peanut butter cups. Ooh, my favorite. Like, what an awesome testimony that would be if the Christians would be the one that would absolutely love on and bless on the kids and to show them the grace, the kindness, the provision of God. You see the big difference there? Instead of being scared of a, of a holiday... We're not compromising. We're choosing to overcome evil with good. When we, when we fall into this fearsome Christianity, what we tend to do is we, we tend to make our God look weak and helpless. Non-Christians, your unbelieving neighbors and friends, they would look at us, they would look at you and they would shake their heads and think, wow, you're afraid of this holiday? Wow, you won't even go there? Wow, you won't even do that? And, and we fall into legalism. We're afraid that God will be angry with us when we don't follow the rules. And honestly, these rules are not found in the Bible. And here's the weird thing about legalism. Legalism is based on the Bible. And in reality, it is never found in the Bible. These are rules as present-day Pharisees that we make because we want to help God out. See, God makes a fence. And so what do we do? We build two or three fences in front of that fence. Remember the first sin with Eve? Where she sinned against God and her logic and her reasoning was this. God said, first of all, don't eat of it. But she added on what? You can't even touch or look at it. See, that's the human nature that we want to add because we're afraid and at the end of the day we have these man-made fences and people they look at people unbelieving family members they look at our man-made fences and they think they're God's fences they look at us and think man what's wrong with them listen we'll never make God look bad when we live in line with his rules, but we will always make him look bad and weak when we add extra rules to the things he's told us in the Bible. And I want to wrap this up and I want to pray for us. Pray that through these difficult times with rising gas prices and inflation, and what seems to be like uh, secularism taking over, that we would be a people who would have the courage to stand firm on our convictions, but also have the wisdom to 
compromise, biblical compromise, and win people for Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we love you, and we just uh, pray right now, Lord God, for your Holy Spirit wisdom, the wisdom of the ages, the genius of heaven, Lord, to be upon your people, that we would know not just what's right and wrong, but we would know what's right and what seems right. Lord, your word says there's things that seems right in man's eyes, but it is not. And Lord, I just pray right now for discernment for your people, for wisdom, for courage, oh Lord God. I pray, God, that we would be a people of faith, that we would love you and honor you in everything that we do, that we would influence our culture, oh Lord God, that, that we would overcome evil by doing good. We love you, we worship you, in Jesus' name, amen.